Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Eric Klein. Community radio stations are more than just transmitters and microphones. And public access television stations are not just cable channels with cameras. They're both media platforms with a privileged place in their communities and an official government-sanctioned sense of permanence. This week, we explore how community radio and public access television can work together and how both kinds of stations can grow beyond the traditional boundaries of their respective medium. We recorded a panel for you, a discussion moderated by co-host, co-producer of this program, Paul Reismandel, at the Alliance for Community Media Northwest Region Summit held at Open Signal, Portland Community Media, on March 31st, 2017. Joining Paul for the discussion are Becky Myers, Development Director at Community Radio Station KBOO-FM in Portland, Oregon, and Devin Febroriello, Executive Producer and Creative Director for X-Ray Television, a joint project between X-Ray FM, a community radio station in Portland, Oregon, and Open Signal TV. Welcome. To, uh, so here is our panel here at ACM Northwest. Uh, we're going to be discussing cross-platform collaborations. So thank you all for uh, joining me and also with my guests here. Um, my name is Paul Reismandel, and currently I work on a website and podcast called Radio Survivor, which is focused on community radio and audio, uh, community-focused audio. So from podcasting to internet radio to broadcast, etc. Um, I'm a co-founder of that, and I'm a co-host uh, and co-producer along with Eric Klein, my partner in crime back there, on the podcast, which comes out weekly at radiosurvivor.com. I have a background in community radio going back uh, well over 20 years. Uh, I was also an uh, advisor for a college station at Northwestern University, WNUR, uh, for about five years. And currently, my day job is in podcasting. Uh, where I actually work for a company called Midroll Media, which owns the Earwolf Podcast Network and also the Stitcher uh, podcast platform. Uh, and we sell a lot of podcast ads. So thank you, Squarespace. <laughs> they didn't pay for that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but joining does. me today is uh, Becky Myers from KBOO here in Portland, a community station that are you are now 60 years old? 50. 50, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to add an extra decade. <laughs> Not you personally, <laughs> right. the radio station. We're, we're, you, I look surprisingly young. You look surprisingly young, yes. Uh, here at, in, uh, in Portland at 90.7 FM, and you're a development director there. That's correct, yeah. And also, Devin, please pronounce your last name for me. Febriello. Febriello. I see, yeah. I should have, I'm always getting my last name mispronounced, and I did the really bad hosting of not asking you in advance how to properly. It's a tough name to pronounce. How to properly pronounce it. And you're with X-Ray FM, yes. which is a community station also here in Portland. You went on the air in 2014, is that correct? Yes, we just celebrated our three-year birthday party. That's what I thought, in yeah. March. Yeah, hooray yeah. for you. Good and party. Uh, yeah. you're the executive producer and creative director for X-Ray Television. Yes, that's correct. So we're here to talk about these collaborations between radio, between public access television, between peg channels, but I think also in, in other ways. Um, and I think there's sort of a, a, a grounding uh, principles here, sort of a frame I'd like to kind of put up for this conversation. And it's the idea that now, in this day and age, you know, a radio station is not just a radio station. Public access television channel is not just a public access television channel. These are community media platforms. And 
what this means is that they are a place for people to come and create great things to serve the community, to represent the community. And while it may be built upon an original sort of premise that we're doing cable television, that we're doing radio, uh, really, frankly, nothing is stopping anyone from doing more these days. Uh, digitization has done us this great favor of meaning we don't have to only be radio, we don't only have to be television, we don't only have to be text. And one of the great advantages of being a peg channel or being a community radio station is that cable franchise and or that FCC license because that is a sense to your community that you are permanent, that you are a fixture in the community, that you are not fly by night. It also probably has meant that you are very knit into the community, you know, that, that it's other organizations, other smaller communities throughout uh, all of the area that you serve, know about you, may have had an opportunity to take advantage, may watch, may listen, uh, may bring people through to be on microphone or be on camera. So what you have here, right, is these are deep roots that you can use to help do even more. And to some extent, I think, and I think we'll talk a little more about this, not only can you do more, but there may actually be a need to do more. Um, especially as younger generations are a little less fixed to broadcast, are a little less fixed to cable television, a little less fixed to broadcast radio, it's time to be creative. And I don't want to sit here and be a doomsayer and say, they're leaving, they're never going to watch television <laughs> again, they're never going to use a radio again, forget it, You're, you know, no one under the age of 25 will ever, ever be there, because I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's true, and I don't think that we necessarily are seeing that. But I think anyone of any age can reflect on his or her own media use and notice none of us is using television like we did 10 years ago. None of us is using radio like we did 10 years ago. So I think there's both an opportunity and an obligation for us to think cross-platform. And really it's cross-platform is building a big platform. So if we take again that metaphor that you have a radio station or you have a peg channel or you have some other uh, media institution, it's to build it out and to think, or what other ways in which we can serve our community and serve the various audiences who greatly need to hear from the people who are involved in our, in our various uh, media operations or who need to be involved in our media operations, voices that need to be heard from because without peg channels, without community television, without community radio, they simply aren't heard from or seen, right? And to really think about how we can kind of grow this. And I think that's kind of where we want to kind of take this uh, conversation. And so, Devin, I want to start a little bit here because X-Ray, you're a young station, and yet here you are, you're, you're jumping out with uh, X-Ray television. I know nothing about it. Please, <laughs> please tell us, like, w what are you doing? Well, we are doing a lot of different things. Um, it's really exciting. It's actually very exciting what you brought up, this aspect of making things accessible for more people. I think that's especially true also within the film and television industry, which is where my background is. And with the partnership that we have with Open Signal, the development of X-ray television, and what that is allowing the community, the access for the community to create and produce different content is super exciting and, and unlike anything else that I've ever been involved in, so it's really, really great. Um, basically what X-Ray TV is, is a, at this point we're just starting out, so it's all very new, um, 
And right now we have a four-hour block on Saturday nights on cable channels 329 and 29. And the block that we are producing and releasing each week is a combination of what we're calling our Desert Island Television, which is um, curated content of found footage and different things that we've asked people across the community to create and organize, as well as original shows that through Open Signal support, we did kind of like a pitch process for people within our film community, which I'll talk more about that too. We have a film collective that we've been helping organize and operate. Um, they pitch shows and then have been producing these works over the past six months now. Um, and we'll be releasing those as part of the online, or sorry, as the cable blocks. And then online, we have a website where everything's also linked through a YouTube channel. So it's sort of like you can watch online and also on cable. Um, and, you know, on the online side of things, we don't run the blocks, we just are doing mostly original. Um, content there so it's in it's in a growth period and and we're trying a lot of different things and just kind of seeing but it has had a lot of momentum it's been really exciting and people seem to be enjoying the ability to create in this way with us so and so what was the impulse for this why you know when you you're sort of you've got a radio station you've established it right but obviously you know four years old you're still you're still growing mm-hmm. um, why make the jump to video you know honestly this entire thing came about in a very serendipitous, just sort of meant to way be. It was not something that any of us were planning to do. In fact, I got involved with X-Ray FM as a filmmaker in town who was like, hey, if you guys have bands you need to film, like, if I'm free, I'd come out and do some stuff. And I started doing that. And pretty soon after that, we were having trouble staffing the um, shows, or the shoots, because you know we don't have budgets to pay people. and there's only people that were available every so often, those kinds of things. So we were like, you know what, maybe we should start a collective of people that are interested in this and um, a meetup group and you know whatever. This was a little under a year ago. We had our first meetup and there was, I think because people really like X-Ray FM, there was a ton of, I mean there was like 60 people there and we were shocked. We thought there'd be seven or eight, you know? And there was so many people and people were really interested in collaborating and had all these different skill sets and gear and whatever. And we just started asking people to do things. And within a very short amount of time, Open Signal heard about it because there was a member from here that was part of that initial meetup. And then that's kind of when the partnership and this idea to grow it more and make it more of a thing started to come into play. But it was totally natural. We were not like, hey, we're going to start television. Like, it wasn't, it just happened that way. So now we've all been a little bit along for the ride because it's, just has had this natural interest and sort of like movement that we're all kind of just following and supporting. So you're discovering kind of what it is and just, yeah. uh, you know, we are recording this actually for our podcast here. So I'll make sure all our listeners know that Open Signal is the uh, public access television group here in Portland, Oregon, which is actually where we where this uh, conference is being hosted very graciously. And so it sounds like this, though, it grew out of something which is sort of natural to community radio. And that's you have live musicians coming in to, to do shows. Is that, about, is that about right? Yep, we do something that we call um, X-Ray Sessions, where we've been partnering with a recording studio in town, and then the band will come do a live set, and then we'll do a multi-camera filming of them. And then we have other reasons that we've had people film and do things, like we'll film some events and stuff, or festivals and whatever. So naturally, yes, the radio station has its own need for video production, but that's now expanded into 
all sorts of other things. So. And that's an interesting thing about community radio, about public access television, and that you really have, I think it's important to reflect against everybody else on the dial, which is you are built on this foundation, not just of these community volunteers who, who give their time to produce programming, but the constant flow of visitors, whether it's people coming in for an interview, whether it's a band coming in to do a show. Um, there is constantly people from the community and touring people from outside the community coming through it's like a super highway compared to any commercial station in the town. It's a super highway compared to all of the commercial stations in your town put together. <laughs> and to think about that as a resource that, that you have. And I know, so at KBU, mm-hmm. right, you have a very long history. Like this is, KBU has been a crossroads here in Portland and the Northwest in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about ways in which you've, uh, which you, KBU tries to sort of uh, grow and, and make some of these things that happen there more accessible outside of just the, the, of the air spectrum. signal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so we've been streaming online since 1999. Um, that's uh, uh, just a slight delay feed of what we broadcast over the air. We've been doing that for a long time and it connects with a number of different venues, um, not simply um, the you know, t- link, no, tune in or whatever that's mm-hmm. called. Um, but we also have a mobile app that was built specifically for us that has on-demand content. It has um, scheduled episodes and um, ways for people that don't necessarily connect with social media to be able to take a look at what we're announcing and what we're doing over that as well. So we have that, um, and to link it back to the social media piece, we're of course on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, kind of barely. Um, we try to snatch up our, uh, our user ID because typically it just goes away really fast for some reason. Um, but we try to leverage that um, social media piece by um, not only telling people about what is going on with the station, but to um, use it within a unified digital content uh, you know, distribution model that we're still working on. And so for KBU, we have a lot of ways that people can connect with it outside of the station uh, or outside of the FM. And that's not to mention, you know, the immense amount of outreach that we do to communities through co-sponsorships and partnerships that we have with events. Um, but, you know, we're looking, I think, a little more like outwardly, and that's a strategy that we're looking to develop right now as we just recently came back online with the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That gives us a mandate to put materials on um, a marketplace nationally, and they're very specific. So like that material that we create has to follow a specific clock. So how do you then promote that information and you know your reach in that way? Because like getting syndicated programming on other stations grows your listenership exponentially. And we're coming up with a different strategy as it comes to that. And I think our cross-promotional, like, you know, collaborative approach, what I'd like to see is, is something along those lines and that syndication. Um, and, and I think it has to be modified depending on, you know, where you're putting your content and, you know, how people are interacting with it. Is it visually? We work mostly in audio. So that's something that... I actually am curious about and why I'm at the table today, actually. <laughs> and so uh, part of this, so you've got a grant for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, mm-hmm. which, which gives grants uh, to help produce programming, and then part of that is they want it distributed. They want it to yeah. be accessible outside of your station and accessible to other stations. Mm-hmm. 
And, I, you know, I often hear, you know, I, I work in podcasting, mm -hmm. and I often hear, you know, stations, or I hear people's health station, oh, you need to be podcasting, and I agree completely. Oh, yeah, we do that too. That's right. the thing I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, though, part of it, though, I think, in, in, or you want to syndicate something, is that people forget about that they're, these are always extra steps. Oh, yeah. In immense extra <laughs> step, actually. Like, the, um, the implication of syndication is not only getting your material to you know, a, a specific consumable clock that NPR stations or other community stations can use, but like, how do you then lock it out? How do you, um, you know, get your station identification in a meaningful way, especially if you're taking it from on-air signal? So it, this has been the creation of an entirely new program for us. <laughs> but on top of that, um, something that we've been working on, and, and you reminded me, um, is that we're creating a second stream of programming that is um, hopefully all like new programming based on um, a very vibrant podcasting situation that we've been cultivating for many years. Um, we were really interested in opening up the amount of broadcast that was available to folks beyond the 24 hours. And when you mentioned that, um, you know, the online is mostly original programming that, you know, speaks to the power of having more than just like one day's worth of like spectrum available to you. And so that's something that we've been working on uh, with the development of a new production space that's digital only. I mean, we we're looking to have another like extra 24 hours of stuff on the And so this will be an online stream, Online right? stream, Online though. only stream yeah. that's sort of That was parallel. an air quote on the Yeah. On the well, that, that allows <laughs> you to, to develop new talent Yes. Uh, who might not get much airtime because airtime is in short supply mm -hmm. at a station like, like KBOO and we're at a station like X-Ray. There's a lot of folks who want to be on these great stations. And how do you, how do you square that circle and, and get, get these new voices on and get them heard? And that requires, of course, though, more, more, more time. So much capacity. And a little bit, little bit more capacity building. Yeah. So Devin, I'm wondering here, you, you sort of started out at the, sort of the birth of your collective there doing video at X-Ray is born from wanting to do bands and then sort of kind of running out of resource, running out of people who could, could do it, and now you've, you're building up again. Um, what seems to be exciting people? What is drawing them in to, because is this mostly volunteers? Is this all volunteer? Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things, and Open Signal is a really big part of it, which I'll get to in a second. I think for one, X-Ray FM just has People really like the station. I think when we put that out for the meetup, whatever, people were like excited about getting involved in something to do with the overall organization. So I think that that has a part of it for sure, is that there's just a strength in people's interest in anything X-Ray, and then a lot of people have cameras and are excited. With Open Signal, I mean, we really wouldn't be capable of what we're doing right now with the level of production that we're helping support if it weren't for the Open Signal partnership. Um, because Open Signal is not only helping us um, in a lot of different ways, they're also helping the filmmaker community by offering um, discounted classes, um, access to gear. We, we do some special training sessions to get people C100s. So there's a lot of, um, I think that it's a really exciting, like I'll speak as a filmmaker, when I first found out about Open Signal, before I got involved, they've grown and changed so much and have gotten a lot more like higher quality cameras and really good gear and access for people. 
And there is this missing link for uh, media artists, I think, where it's so expensive to do these projects. You have to have so much money and people to do them that a lot of times people have great ideas and then they can't do it because they don't have $5,000 laying around or whatever. And I feel like Open Signal feeds this really important need for media creators especially by giving access on this kind of unprecedented level to really excellent gear. And then the reciprocity is that these people that have a hunger to make all this stuff then help feed the channel. So it's like this really nice, nice balance and it's really making people really happy and satisfied and excited and that's also growing too. So I think the aspect of how X-Ray is partnered with OpenSignal and what OpenSignal is giving us for support is really feeding and nurturing the community that's excited to be producing work. So it's like a really, and I think that's why it's grown so naturally so quickly is that it has this um, great sort of balance of give and take and, and everybody kind of feeding into this ecosystem of creative energy and gear support and community. And it makes a lot of sense because I think you know that's sort of a hidden aspect of community media in general is that training aspect. Yeah. That that's that's always kind of been there. When, you know, when you join community radio station, they teach you how to do radio. When you when you get involved in a public access television station, you learn how to do television. And and many stations I've been aware of or, or, or been involved in. It doesn't matter whether you come in with an MFA or you've been a veteran journalist, you will still go through the training class at that station. So you, you know, not just, it's not just about skills building, but it's also understanding the culture and the flow and how things work at that particular station. So that you also don't think that maybe because you, you walked in as a veteran journalist that you know better than everybody else here. It's an opportunity <laughs> to join the community, I think, at, at that ground level. And I hadn't really thought about that access right, to all this gear, because people do outgrow their smartphones. Oh, yeah. It's only yeah. one device anyway. Right? Yeah. Well, and there's so much power in, um, I think, for me personally, learning, how, learning all these technical skills, being able to go farther and farther and farther with it, it just empowers you to make better work and to do more and connect more and tell different stories and whatever. So it, it really empowers people who have the drive for whatever reason to do whatever it is that they're trying to make to, to learn what they need to learn. And I think that if it weren't for the partnership, we would still be able to be doing um, video work with FM, but we definitely wouldn't have the bandwidth to help so many people at this level to be creating and producing um, underneath this umbrella of X-ray television. So it's been really exciting. I mean, I think that, that collaboration point's an important one. Whether it is uh, between you know a, a community radio station and a peg channel, or between uh, you know working with a local school, working with a local college, community college, or a video collective that might exist, at, or a documentary collective that might exist. Um, there's a lot of these opportunities, right, to sort of bring together your your core strengths and to see what you can make more out of it and see how you each benefit uh, from that collaboration. Um, and I think that's something to really think about. And of course, what's kind of really interesting at this point in time is how uh, public access peg channels have been getting low power FM stations, uh, mm -hmm. specifically in this last window. And so they're sort of putting that collaboration right on site. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for the pegs that don't have LPFMs and the LPFMs that are not attached or community radio stations that are not attached uh, to pegs to, to move this sort of this game forward a little bit because I think you probably only grow your audiences. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, 
are there concerns about this, about there being competition? I mean, do you find this at KBU being, you know, a, a radio station that's been around so long? Mm -hmm. Are there concerns that if you're doing video or you're doing other sorts of multimedia or even doing podcasting or maybe partnering with another media organization, that that's taking away people from your FM signal? They're like, you know, do people have that fear? It's one I've heard in the past. Right. And, you know, I can see where people are coming from it, but it, you know, I, I keep thinking about um, KDRT and Davis Community Access where when they said that, you know, as a PEG channel, they got an LPFM, it doubled the amount of people that were volunteering wow. with them. And so when we're engaging people with different media, um, it does open up other channels for us to have more people engage with the station in different ways. Um, our challenge, I think, a little bit is um, trying to like have the self-directed collective method be the driving point and that um, you know, we are able to encourage people who come to us that are like, we are filmmakers, we, we would love to help the station and we give some direction, but like there are different structures that are necessary at least for us to, you know, like what what is happening, you know, or what when is that video coming out, you know, how how do you know when a band is coming into play on in the air? That's something that requires some amount of coordination. And so um, I think for us, it's us trying to figure out, you know, how deeply does staff need to be part of that planning process more so? Because having other media available for people to access is very important. I think it opens up your audience possibilities, the people that engage with your station. Um, you know, I, I would take it to one chief concern that comes actually mostly from our listeners who can't access that information, whether or not they don't have cable, which is, I mean, how many of us in the room don't have cable? <laughs> so you can't watch cable access TV at all. Um, you know, I, I've been really interested in X-ray TV, don't see anything on YouTube outside of the sessions, probably because of rights. We run into the same issue too. Well, we haven't started releasing the all the stuff yet. That's coming. All yeah, the like shows eventually. Are coming in the next five months, basically. Yeah, but we're for copyrighted to stuff. It well, yeah, yeah, no, the the blocks won't be on YouTube. We can't play them on YouTube. But we're looking into building our own media player that we can run blocks on ourselves. So, so, so it would be so good. Are the sort of collagey kind of things. So yeah. it's found mm -hmm. media. So what, you can't have it on YouTube because. Uh, someone like a copyright flagged, claim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I want to see the like because that's my my form of art making too is collage. So oh, cool. yeah, seeing it in a visual sense is inspiring and awesome. But yeah. Connecting with it otherwise is difficult, and you know that's the case for people that may live in, you know, um, not Medford because we don't really serve them, but like other rural areas that may have difficulty accessing broadband for streaming video or they don't have social media because for whatever reason, internet is slow in their area and they can't really connect with it. So that, that's the chief concern when it comes to breaching these other communicative channels more so because they, people will call. We have people call like, I couldn't see, I, I can't hear your internet only stream at my like, house. I don't get fast enough internet for that. And that happens when we have internet-only live broadcasts. Right. Wow, so there's a, there's a digital equity issue here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really going to touch on it because I know that there's a panel <laughs> touching on that here. And I think that's right, something really right important to think about 
in that you know it's easy for a lot of us who have you know smartphones, home broadband, maybe have cable, maybe not, but maybe you don't have cable more by choice, not because you can't afford it necessarily all the time. And that uh, we forget that, that still there's a lot of folks who are relying on that radio signal or, you know, who have cable, but that's, that's it. That's what they have and are really relying on that particular lifeline via television. And to think about how we are serving uh, these various uh, audience members who really are not being served by other media, in part because they don't see them as a valuable demographic. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they're a core demographic, if we're thinking this way, uh, in, in community media. And so for X-Ray, then, in creating television, in creating the, your, this, this video collective, do you have a sense, like, are there, are there objectives? Are they still being formed? Like, what, what, what is the impulse to do this? What, what you know, what, is, what are the objectives? I mean, I would say the main thing is that, you know, with the question about competing, whatever. I think what we've found through this process is that, you know, the people who listen to X-Ray FM do all sorts of different things, have all sorts of different interests. We, we put the call out and then, oh, there's a ton of filmmakers that like this. And so now they're making things and there's activists and there's people that are involved. So it's like you're reaching this broad amount of people through the radio that then, hey, now we're doing TV, get involved over here. So it's worked really well in that way. I think that the main objective is basically to feed the community and what the community is interested in. And like we've found pretty quickly, and it's why it all just has been like a train going down a track, that there's a hunger and interest in this. And people want to be, they want to be watching, they want to be creating videos, they want to be interacting at screening events and, and doing all sorts of different stuff. And it's kind of also too interesting because it's not just it's not just people who are seasoned professionals in film and television. There's total beginners, too. And it's like giving everyone, it, there's also professional people. So it's like this kind of fascinating coming together of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds that all have the same passion for moving image and storytelling in that way. And um, I think overall, that's, I can say as a person overseeing the whole thing, like my main thing, and I come back to it all the time, is I just want it to, I want to make people happy. I want to give them access in the best way I can to the things they want to create. So we're just constantly trying to figure out how to um, make it viable, make it work, and make it serve the people who are interested in it and to build a stronger and stronger community. So we're constantly like trying to figure out different types of social events and different things that can keep everyone coming together and growing and expanding and interacting. And what that produces creatively we don't really know. We want to see what people are going to make and do, and we just feel like if we have that infrastructure, if we have that foundation, and we're like, here, come play, come do some stuff, like, we want to help you, then that's just what's going to kind of naturally flow, and, and we'll see. I mean, we've already been pretty impressed with the things that have happened, and we're putting a lot of trust in, in just whatever, however it unfolds and unfolds, and we want to make people excited. And sustainability is is a question that goes along, I think, with anything that a peg channel or a low-power FM or a community radio station try to do. And that's often that new initiatives um, are exciting and get a lot of initial interest, but sometimes don't last, right? Sure. And there's a healthy part of that, because you, if you have an experimental mindset, allows you to start things, see if they go, and if they don't, and they don't really meant to go, then then they don't. But there's also a side in which it can be a little demoralizing. Or, you know, in this case, 
you have stakeholders that are not just X-ray FM, but you're working with Open Signal. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other organization, and you have aligned missions, but you are two different organizations. Sure. How do you sort of bridge that, that not the divide, but how do you align everything? How do you make sure that what you're doing uh, with X-ray TV works for opens for what Open Signal needs, for what the station needs, and then you know trying to make sure that uh, uh, in in the ongoing future it's a uh, it's a useful and mutually beneficial collaboration. Well, we communicate a lot with Open Signal. I mean, we actually X-ray Television staff works out of Open Signal's office. We I would say we're mm. in more direct communication and work more regularly with Open Signal. We still are parented by the FM and we we have meetings and see and talk and communicate there too, but we're always kind of checking in with them. We don't send out press releases until they have been like mm. we're cool with this, you know, and like make sure that the partnership is always honored because it's really important aspect of the entire endeavor. Um, and even with going, we're, we're considering the season one, we'll be going through a whole negotiation for season two if that's going to you know, happen, what it's going to look like. Because the, in the very beginning, we talked about like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome in a few years, maybe X-ray television would be a 24-hour channel. And we're not anywhere near <laughs> that. But same thing, it's something we're really thinking about is our bandwidth as an organization, what we can handle it's been way more work than we ever imagined because there's been so much excitement and energy coming in. And we, once again, because our goal is to serve the community, make people happy, we also don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So we're, we're thinking about all these things a ton. And, and I, I'd say, even though, like I'm saying, it has this momentum, we're also being pretty cautious about you know, next steps and like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what's going to make, and ultimately, what's going to make X-Ray FM and Open Signal happy because X-Ray Television is like, the midpoint in that, so we're always kind of, you know. So you said you said that you're negotiating on maybe a second season, right? Yeah. So have you? Uh, do you have a contract? Have you written down sort of points of agreement and such? Yeah. Yeah. We when we came into the partnership, there was a whole contract agreement that we went through in order to figure out, you know, the terms of what we're doing and and all that. Yeah, and we'll be actually talking in May about next steps. So yeah, it's been very, very well communicated all the way through. And do you think that that has helped things move along? Absolutely, yeah. Why? Because to me, it's like, like you're saying, we're kind of maybe a, a little bit of an experiment, right? And so we're all like, let's see what happens. Let's try this. And to me, I mean, as a business person who runs a production company too, I always have contracts. I love them because <laughs> I, I feel like when you clarify stuff and everybody knows what one another is hoping or working towards it just makes things run smoother and you feel like you know there's if it's not working out you can be like okay that didn't work it just creates a parameter that I think is nice so someone's like I I thought you were doing xyz and instead you're doing abc you can say well we actually agreed to abc (laughs) you know not not necessarily like you know slamming it down on (laughs) c here but but you know to, to 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 just Work on that mutual understanding and make mm-hmm. sure that if, if there are disappointments or something that you can get to the bottom of it rather than maybe it's stewing in the background. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's good to know what the expectations are and then we're doing everything we can to follow through on that um, for the organizations and then for the community. So, you know, it's not always easy. <laughs> sure. like juggling a lot, but yeah. But you're sort of getting a lot of that stuff out in the open ahead of time mm-hmm. rather than waiting until there's sort of maybe a stewing dissatisfaction down the line. For not that sure. it necessarily avoids it entirely, but 
you know, it, it's because it's thinking about how this happens and what is the interest of each organization. Each organization wants to make sure that, that they're not getting the short end of the stick, that they're not Definitely. losing on the deal. And so I think that that's probably some good advice for, for people to, to walk away with. And I know that, I mean, at least in my experience in community radio, you know, sometimes people are a little allergic to this notion of a contract, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it feels very legalistic and it feels like, well, we're not your typical business. We're not whatever. But, you know, when you kind of turn it around and you think about, well, it's sort of more of an agreement. Yeah. To make sure everyone's yeah, it's on the an same. MOU, I guess, is what I would call it. <laughs> a memo of understanding. Yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, it, it helps to clarify things. Mm -hmm. You know, and so um, thinking about the sustainability question, then. So, Becky, it sounds like a KBU. That seems to be top of mind from what you were talking about the the, the projects that you're taking on between having us another stream, mm -hmm. uh, more podcasting, syndicating your programming. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you how do you begin to build that that infrastructure to sustain these projects that stand sort of in parallel to the the ever important all encompassing twenty four seven air signal? <laughs> well, we, we we always put a focus on the twenty four hour a day FM spectral kind of thing, but um, it really depends on the amount of capacity and planning that we can put towards a thing. So. Um, the syndication piece that came with money automatically. Um, and it, it was part of the mandate of re receiving said money. I mean, you know, we have so many projects going on already that, you know, it has to come with some sort of funding model and us understanding, you know, where we can put time and money. Um, we were celebrating our 50th anniversary next year. Involved in that, yeah, it's, it's so cool. I'm so excited. Like, we're going to have a... Oregon Historical Society exhibit that's going to have a diorama and like all the stuff and it's like art and then we're digitizing 50 years of reel-to-reel -reel tapes which is an intense process and we're having parties and we're doing publication and all this stuff. It's 2017 <laughs> so right now like a lot of like my time in making sure that those plans can even be enacted is in the fundraising and so you know just to give a picture of this is, let's say, one project, right? One single project for us. That means um, coming up with a funding plan years in advance for this particular thing. I created a major giving initiative from scratch and then are doing all of the solicitations and visits and things like that. So that's another thing, a whole other program. And then getting stakeholders to be invested in like enacting said plan and doing the thing. For us, sustainability is really, really important. So like, we do have a lot of spaces where we can experiment. We have the Artists in Residence program. We have um, a number of podcasts that we've partnered with other nonprofit organizations like um, uh, Action Oregon, Oregon Action. They used to be CIO. We've worked with Morpheus Youth Projects. We um, have a lot of places for experimentation, but for things that like the 50th anniversary, you can't flub that. So we're having to build that pretty solidly before we launch everything. And that's, that's where we've kind of taken it. 
So, you know, that was, you, you just addressed the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> because you talked about, you know, the need to plan, the need to have, the, have a, a fundraising plan, a resource plan for these things. Yeah. I was going to say, is there an opportunity for the grand, not necessarily grand idea, but for the inspiri inspired idea? Yeah. To, you know, and, and you just sort of entered it. You said, well, you, you, you do these sort of low-lying projects. Mm -hmm. or, or, or not necessarily low-lying is probably not well, the right word. you know, it's like, it, it, it depends on what amount of, like, staff resources we can put into a thing. It sounds like X-Ray interacts, like, they're executive staff for the FM signal interact pretty minimally like you check in and you talk about things and stuff I mean when when you're talking about like a 50th anniversary like year-long thing that's almost all hands on deck all the time and so that creates a different capacity issue KBU is totally open to folks who want to come in who have the expertise and can you know come up with this idea and then present it and say this is the thing that we would like, like to do exactly and we do that all the time, and that also happens with our FM signal too. And, and for the that partner on the podcast, uh, you know, where you don't have a lot of staff time dedicated to it, mm -hmm. uh, what's the advantage for them to do the podcast with you than to say, "Hey, we're just going to do a podcast"? We have the like facilities, we have expertise that we can lend to it. We share knowledge all the time, and we use our promotional capabilities to promote this as well. Um, we are a great, like, you know training ground for folks who have an idea who are like, I want to learn how to podcast or I may have expertise a little bit in podcasting and I'm looking for technical assistance and we are able to provide that. And some people just like stay on with it, you know? Some people outgrow it and, you know, decide that they want to go with other venues. Race the Sandwich is one example where they started at KBU, recorded at KBU, and then are recording now at Stream PDX, which is an amazing podcast studio. So we encourage you know, the growth of things to help them you know, kind of vet ideas and experiment in this way, but because of these systems already being existing and that they already have a, like existing infrastructure, we try to like, leverage that as much as possible. You know, you mentioned something which uh, I think is, is something else to take, to take into account in that platform idea. And you said, right, that KBOO helps to promote it, mm -hmm. right? And don't underestimate the reach of your PEG or your community radio station. That was mind-blowing when we found out any information on listeners. Let me just say that. <laughs> right? Because you have the on-air, mm -hmm. but your website is also a site. Mm -hmm. And all sorts of things that you might lend your name to or provide some promotional uh, extra juju to is also part of that. And, and to think about your platform in that way, and that you know, platforms are audio, platforms are video, platforms are website, platforms are also concerts, platforms are events, platforms are being out in the community, yeah. because it becomes a brand. Whether you're sort of comfortable with that name or comfortable with the concept, <laughs> it kind of is, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And a KBU endorsement and an X-ray endorsement says something to people. And it's not merely says that it's cool, but it also says things like, this is aligned with my values. Yeah. My values are aligned with KBU. My values are aligned with X-ray. My values are aligned with Open Signal. And when they get involved in something, I kind of feel like, well, they've, they've pre-checked it. They've double-checked it and triple-checked it to make sure it's aligned with their values. And I can feel a little better about this is something that I might want to check out. Not just merely that I heard about it and it sounds cool, but there is that real alignment. And I think that that's also something that, you know, it's the same alignment between two organizations as well, that Open Signal and X-Ray have similarly aligned values. So I want to hear, Devin, a little bit if you have an idea 
of how you're thinking about um, keeping X-ray television sustainable, how, how to keep it going. You know, you say you're about to get into negotiations for season two. So mm-hmm. is that going to involve some sort of evaluation of what went well for season one and, and what you might do differently for season two? Yes. Um, I think that that... Our next step is basically to check in with both FM and Open Signal to kind of go through what goals we've reached, how it's been beneficial to the organizations, what's been beneficial, what's maybe not been beneficial, and then um, start to talk about what we have the capability to do in terms of growth, or if it's like, hey, you know, let's just try to kind of stay around the same size with the project for another year, see how that goes, just to get it more easy to manage or whatever. So I think that. I mean, we're just kind of figuring it out as we go along. I, I personally would love, like, one of my main goals that I hope we can achieve comes down to budget um, concerns, but I would love to be able to ultimately, for our original show creators, start to give out small budgets for their, for their shows. Right now, the reciprocity is actually what you're bringing up about being able to utilize the brand. We... Um, you know, all the show creators get to do like radio interviews about their show, and they have we like promote every episode. We will be as we're developing a whole campaign for social media to promote everything that they release over the next six months. So we're doing a lot of work on their for their benefit to help get their show out to people. That's great, and I think it's a really nice exchange. But ideally, I would love as we continue to grow to figure out how we can give a few several thousand dollars or little grants to everybody who's under working with us um, to make even better work. So I do think ultimately like, that's where we would like to go is to grow to a point where we're helping artists more and activists and anyone who's wanting to create something with a video camera. Um, so, and what that looks like in terms of growing the amount is really up in the air based on what we can, what we can handle. And um, yeah, we have a great team of people, and it has been a lot of work, but we've been managing it pretty well. If it were to grow tomorrow, it would be like, whoa. <laughs> Wait, not right now. <laughs> so, so in a little bit, don't be a victim of your own success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Smart growth, yeah, right? Yeah, smart growth. Because you get, I mean, you know, at a place like a Peg Channel or a community radio station, you bring together some really brilliant and creative people. And if you, get, if you get some coffee or you get some beers or something else in them or around a table, often the ideas come flying, right? A lot of inspired and amazing ideas. But it can be tough to choose which to come through. And, and sometimes the people who have the most inspired ideas don't always have the most inspired get up and go and <laughs> carry it over the, over, the, over, the, over the finish line. Yeah. Well, and especially with video. I mean, that's one thing I haven't really talked about is video versus audio. I've worked in both. I'm not saying audio is not challenging and full of a lot of work, but video is a much... If you're producing an original show where you're having locations and actors and editing, it is a so much work. So it's also wanting to make sure that you can really manage what that means to take on that type of creative work versus audio. It's a lot easier for us to get um, an audio interview and put it on the radio than to produce an episode of a series. So that's something that's a huge aspect of what we're doing too is the consideration of how different video production is than audio production. Are some of your programs uh, a little easier to produce to get, you know, with like a, a quicker workflow? Some of them, yeah. I mean, 
It's, it's kind of it's all over the board. Though. I mean, if you do like a documentary series, yeah. you're spending a lot more time than you are for an interview or for playing records. Radio theater takes a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. And an actual production piece with like the Foley and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the same thing we see in podcasting when we have three people around a table who are just improving is easy to produce uh, compared to, you know, a full on documentary, This American Lifestyle or something mm -hmm. else yeah. where, where, where you, you know, will, will take hundreds of hours of audio for 20 minutes of finished product. And I, I know certainly for video, you have something similar. Mm -hmm. um, I just have one more question. And I really, for you, Becky, if you can give us a sense. So, for a very established station like KBOO, mm -hmm. and you're thinking about taking on a new, not necessarily strictly radio or not necessarily strictly airtime kind of project, uh, how does that happen? Like, like how how does that this who makes that decision or what kind of things get considered in whether or not that gets an allocation of maybe whether it's just a little bit of of your resource time, which might be just someone gets a little bit of time in a studio mm -hmm. or gets some staff time. Etc. 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 So traditionally, we've um, offered the studios and facilities in exchange for volunteer time. So you come in, you um, you know get to know the the culture of the station. You learn about the facilities themselves, like how to use them. Even if you're like a pro, which you've mentioned, because part of it is like this acclimation process. And so you go through that, and you know we have a specific expectation that if you were to pitch a show that you were already a volunteer, but we're playing with that idea still. Um, what we're hoping to do, I mean, KBOO's big thing is access. So how do we reach communities that don't have you know, traditionally representation or access in media? And so sometimes that means going to them. In fact, almost all the time it means going to them. And then how do you work within this volunteer-centric model when that may not necessarily work for folks. So we're still playing with that. But yeah, typically like we want people to be involved with the station in some capacity and then to make a pitch. But um, you know, that's in flux. Especially with the podcasting program because that that's a pretty like easily accessible um, you know, we'll teach the technical skills. You can use the facilities or then get your own once you know how to do it and that you're comfortable and then you'll go to Bend or wherever you live and create podcasts, you know, like that. But you do so under the auspices of KBOO. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we encourage ideas, you know, like bring them and we're open to our community saying we've identified this need. We have a, a, a desire for a creative outlet. We want to do this. It's just that, you know, the allocation of, of staff time to direct said things is very difficult to kind of parse out when we're already working like 50 to 60 hour weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah, who works a 40 hour week? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> all I, right. I see a hand raise. Well, I've had a chance to ask uh, all the questions that I had. I'm curious to see if there's other questions here in the audience. So, um, speaking of branching out, uh, how would you prepare to like bridge like the cultures? Um, say if you're radio and you're reaching out to public access, like the just the platform culture and then the specific area culture, like what what would be a good start? I that's what I'm really maybe, maybe Devin, I mean, do you have any do you, can you, you fill in from, from forging that relationship between open signal PCM and uh, X ray? I'm 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 actually 
not entirely sure how to answer it because our whole our whole motto is build the system and then let the people make it what it is. So we're not necessarily thinking in terms of like what that looks like, and maybe we'll be we'll have to as we continue going down the line. But for us, we're just trying to make tools and um, community available and trainings available, and then. Whoever wants to make, as long as it's within our values, we do have like some things that like you're not allowed to do, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's our general. Well, it sounds like I mean. Mindset. Yeah, you're, you've built a structure, and I think that's actually really important, right? Because that structure, it sounds like, contains these common agreements between these two organizations. So the culture can be expressed in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But right, but it's sort of foundational there. We, we will do this, we won't do this. Open mm-hmm. Signal expects this, mm-hmm. X-Ray expects this. And that is, that is sort of building a culture because people entering into that need to sort of accept and work within those parameters, mm-hmm. right? You know, we, we don't always think of it in terms of culture, mm-hmm. but in the same way that at a radio station you may have rules about you know, getting subs for your show, what yeah, or happens? Simply how you talk to one another. Or you how you talk to one another, right? And and I think though, if you if you uh, set up that sort of mutual respect, and everyone kind of understands that this isn't, you know, this isn't only an X-ray thing. This isn't only an open signal PCM thing, right? That people that that you don't want people at the radio station feeling like they're being invaded, right, or being mm-hmm. taken over, and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. And I think having those conversations up front and getting a lot of those questions out of the way and written down so everyone understands what those parameters are. Opens up the field to let the sort of the creative culture, I think, uh, take root in the seeds to be sown yeah. and for that to grow. Because that's the thing that you, you, you can't make, right? Yeah. You, you know, you can't force people into that. I think it, that's the thing that just sort of happens. Can I get a high five for MOUs though? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> those are important. Yes. Yeah. Personalities do nowadays is taping the people on air while they're doing their show. Have you thought about doing that to great program either? Oh yeah, actually. Um, so you mean to have our show as it's broadcast taped? What we would love, 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 is to collaborate with folks who are interested in taping newscasts. We do one every week. It's volunteer produced. And something like having it on video would be really amazing. How do we manage that? And how do we make it um, also like, I mean, there are a lot of questions to be hashed out, right? Like some people don't want to be on video. How do you get, you know, like the clip sort of quality that you see in other like commercial newscasts, like then inserted? What is the editorial process? All of that, like, you know, that would be cool. We do tape, um, we use Facebook Live a lot, a lot, a lot when it comes to that. Um, we'll have hosts like just set it up. Contessa de la Luna did a really funny one um, with puppets and things like that, but also the guests were there. Um, and we have that happen with folks, especially if they're part of bands that are visiting but don't have the capacity to play live. They do the interview and we tape it and we do Facebook Live typically. Yeah, there's, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, we're, yes, we're actually in the process of um, finishing a grant application that if we end up being eligible for it, our plan with the grant money is to outfit our new production studio with a multi-camera live Mm. drops that we can feed our um, morning show as a live video um, 
show to the channel here and then probably online too. So we're definitely working toward um, filming radio, but not everything. We'll only, yeah. only things that, you know, we do a lot of stuff with DJs playing music. We're not going to film that. Yeah, right. pre-records are not fun. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, because they're right. There's low-hanging fruit, right? Things that you can just do. And at newscasts and talk shows, they can be done. I mean, certainly you can make them more technically sophisticated, but even the Facebook Live, yeah. things like that, can be really useful. Uh, or just sending it straight to YouTube. In the podcasting world, a lot of podcasts or actually YouTube shows that then they make an audio copy of. And they aren't necessarily any more uh, visually interesting than what we're doing right here, which is just a few people in, with microphones <laughs> in, in, in front of a desk, right? Yeah. They don't necessarily have even cut-ins and things like this, and they have hundreds of thousands of, of views often because that YouTube audience can be a different audience than, than your public access audience, yeah. than your radio audience, and it does open, open you up to, to folks who just might never ever look or even think to find you there and yeah. figure out ways to do that. Uh, I think it can be, really, can be really useful. And I know that, you know, the company I work at, you know, we occasionally do Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. And it's really popular. And, people, and, the, and a lot of folks are like, yeah, I really like the, the, the idea of a live podcast, even though it really is just someone jacked the smartphone into the soundboard and set it up on a tripod. <laughs> you know, it's, it knows more sophisticated than that. And we actually used to work with a video podcast network for a while. And when that mm -hmm. deal went away... A lot of folks were like, oh, I really miss it. You know, I really, really like that. Or said to us, you know, yeah, because I want to, you know, I was doing it at work with my headphones plugged in here and another mm -hmm. screen or whatever. And, and it's just these different ways of consuming. And, and, and we can make it difficult or we can make it easy. And I would certainly uh, recommend anyone, if they want to try it, uh, just try it. If you, someone's got a smartphone and you've got Wi-Fi, yeah. hit that Facebook Live or the YouTube Live. Make sure your Wi-Fi is strong. Give it a shot, <laughs> right? I mean, and, then if it's, and if it really works or you find that there's some response, then you know maybe this is a place where we want to uh, uh, put some more energy into. But I, I've, I used to work in streaming video for education, and I'm just blown away now because, you know, when I started doing it uh, 17 years ago, how expensive and laborious and difficult it was just to get any kind of video online in any which way. And now that we can do it kind of from anywhere, if we have a smartphone that's any of a reasonable type, and Facebook and YouTube, at least at this point, don't charge us <laughs> for this massively expensive video hosting. Granted, we have to, you know, jack ourselves into the net and have yeah. them suck all the data out of our heads. But in exchange, at least we get, <laughs> at least we get all this free video streaming. So I think it's a great opportunity. Well, thank you all for coming. Really appreciate it. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Paul, thank you to Becky, thank you to Devin, and of course all of the community media people in the audience there at the ACM 2017 Northwest Media Summit. Uh, if you want a link to the scheduling of events as well as um, a, you know links to KBU, links to X-Ray, links to Open Signal, Portland Community Media, they can be found at the show notes for this podcast episode. Uh, this episode has been titled Crossing Platforms from Radio to Television and Beyond. And uh, I will thank everybody for listening. Have a good week, everybody.